finally reached the last part in the series. Means the good news is next week I get to start a new one, which I'm very excited about. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Tree um, for um, really uh, what I thought was a really helpful and insightful message last week. And we're going to finish this week, wrap up by, by going full circle. We're going to go back to the opening premise of this series, which was essentially that God is the owner. And everything belongs to him. And our role, simply, we are, we are managers, we are stewards of what he's given us. At the end of the day, all of this six-part series all comes down to kingdom stewardship. If we recognise that, that all resources really belong to God, and if our role is, is merely as stewards and managers, then, then everything looks rather different. So this message is entitled, What Are You Doing With What You've Got? And it's inspired by an old friend of mine called Guy Chevreau, a Canadian a guy I was thinking, he was the theologian at the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church. Remember back to those swinging days in the 90s? And I uh, want to say thank you to him for inspiring me for this. Uh, and I think that, that this offers a, I think, an interesting and a helpful challenge to us all as we wrap this series up. So I'm going to read for you the parable of the talents. We've referred to that several times over the last few weeks. I'm going to read the whole thing this morning, but I'm going to read it really quickly. <coughs> so buckle up. Here we go. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Matthew 25, verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you did not plant and gathering crops you did not cultivate. I was afraid, 
I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. So the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops, I didn't plant and gather crops, I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what they what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so let's, let's summarise that. The master's going travelling, and he leaves his resources in the hands of his servants while he's away. The word used is the word entrusted, which is a great uh, Greek word that I can't say. Paradidomo. Paradidomi. Paradidomi. Something like that. It's so good. Uh, the word entrusted means to give over into one's power or use, to keep, to take care of, to manage. And the implied question as those resources were distributed was, what are you going to do with what I've given you? Which knows an interesting detail right from the start. How did the master decide how to distribute his money? The answer is in verse 15. It says, the money was distributed each according to his ability. And of course they received five talents, two talents, and one talent, respectively. That doesn't sound very fair, does it? Anyone else deduce that life is not inherently fair? My mother used to say to me on a repeated basis, life's not fair, son. In fact, there are many things she said to me. She used to say, first of all, she used to say, I, I don't, I want doesn't get. And then she used to say to me, life's not fair, son. And the third thing I remember her saying to me is, just because you're 53, doesn't mean to say you're 12, when you give you a good sap. <laughs> well, I wasn't 53 when she said it, but I think. So, life's not fair. But the reality is we're all very different. We're, we're not all created equally. We're equally loved, equally loved by God, but we are uniquely gifted. You know, we have different, we have different genes, different skill sets, we have different backgrounds, different educations, we have different IQs. School teaches you that pretty quick. I still remember the, the final assembly of the first term at the school I went to, and, and it was my first one, so it became a complete surprise. And the headmaster had a big black book. Who else is worried when the headmaster brought out the big red black book? And anyway, he opened it up. This is, this, you can't believe that this happened now. He opened it up and he started with the, with the youngest kids and he read the form order out from bottom to top. Could you imagine? So some little later on, I remember who it was. I remember his name. I'm not going to tell you. He was told he was 18th in the first class. Could you imagine? You know, we're not all 
with equal IQ. We don't all have equal earning capabilities, do we? And I've decided that that, that list of numbers from 18 up to 1, or in my class from 24 up to 1 or whatever it was, that order didn't necessarily correlate with the earning capability. So I reckon the guy who came 24th in my class, whose name I won't tell you, who was a little bit of a wheeler dealer, I reckon he probably earned infinitely more than me, and I ended up reasonably hard this. You know, we're all different, we're all different journeys, we have different interests, we have different passions, we all have different callings. And so if some of us have been given one talent, or, or two talents, or, or five talents, certainly in, in financial terms, here's the question. What are you going to do with what you've been given? And here's Geisha Bro's message, essentially. He said that there are, out of that, out of that problem, there are four possible permutations in answer to that question. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to unfold them briefly for you. And the question that you need to ask yourself as we go through these is which of these four are you? The first person is the person who does, does little with much. This, this person is gifted and privileged and, and educated but they're living a self-centred life. In other words, they have a big wallet but a small heart. So there's no serving and there's no sharing, there's no charity, there's no empathy. Entirely wrapped up in furthering the interests of me and mine. Here's a geek, geek quote, goes something like this. If you are spending your life on yourself and your family, doing what you do so you and your kids can enjoy a certain lifestyle, understand the consequences. Your legacy, what you've poured your life into, will grow up to be spoiled, self-indulgent, self-centred kids who at the end of the day will not respect you. All they've learned is how to take There's a real danger of that, I think, in our individualistic and our materialistic culture. You may know people like that, but you know what? That kind of life is really poor kingdom stewardship. Isn't there so much more to life? Isn't there so much more to living and, and to legacy than that? A biblical example would be our, our old friend, actually our young friend, the, the rich young ruler. And if you remember it, in that story, he asked Jesus, you know, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus explained what, what the law said, and he, he said with, with, with some confidence, I've done all of that. <coughs> and when it came to keeping the law, the rich young ruler was very self-satisfied. But in that story, Luke chapter 18, verse 22, Jesus said to him, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The next verse says, verse 23, When the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. One version says that his heart 
sank. You know, this kind of life, a life that does little with much, inevitably leads to a heaviness of heart. If your life is little with much, you will find no real joy or peace. There is no treasure in heaven. Nothing ultimately of lasting consequence. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 16, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? The contrast is, is option number two. Option number two is the person who does much with much. This is the, the ten talent guy, became the eleven talent guy in our story. That this person is high caliber and high capacity, that they're talented, they're well educated, they're financially backed, they're probably even sickeningly good looking. <laughs> Not everyone falls into this category. I wonder, thinking of you sitting in the room, how many of us in here would say that we've been given much? Do you know what? We should be careful what we wish for. Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, To whom much is given, much is required. A biblical example of much with much would be, would be King David. I mean, he was certainly given much. As king, he received instant wealth, and power and influence. But what did he do with this much? The answer is a great deal. He defeated Goliath. He killed his tens of thousands. He led his nation to great triumphs. He accumulated the resources to build the temple. He was called a man after God's own heart. Jesus is called the son of David. Quite the legacy. So to summarise, much with much does wonderful things with their considerable potential. They, they pour out their life, not just to accumulate money and power, but to spend it for the benefit of others, leaving a significant legacy. Number three. Number three is the person who does little with little. Here we come to the one talent guy. The one who buried the money. Who, who squandered the gift. Who wasted the opportunity. As we know, fear decisions are rarely good decisions. And as Tree taught last week, this person is ruled by a scarcity mentality. What they have is never quite enough. It needs to be protected. It needs to be preserved. It needs to be buried in the ground. These people often become clingers and hoarders. So, so actually, unwittingly, it becomes about me and mine, but just from a rather different angle. Do you know what? It's, it's okay to have little, but it's not okay to do little with your little. Because the danger is you end up with a very small and petty and self-consumed life. The danger is you end up with an embittered heart and a sour legacy. The one talent guy protected only his own small interests and ended up with nothing. 
And the last person, category number four, is the one who does much with little. I think a great historic example would be Mother Teresa. Uh, just a quick uh, biography of her. She was born in Albania. She was a poor, uneducated. She was the youngest child. Her father died at the age of eight. At 18, she joined a small order of Catholic nuns and was sent to Calcutta to teach in a convent at a time of great famine and violence. Now there, her heart was broken by some of the poorest of the poor. When she entered India, she had no resources, no influence, no position, and just five rupees to her name. 1950, she began a small order with 12 other sisters. By 2007, it had more than 5,000 nuns running over 600 missions in 120 countries, caring for orphans, aid sufferers, refugees, the blind, the disabled, the aged, alcoholics, the poor, and the homeless. Pakistan's Prime Minister, on her death in 1997, described her as a rare and unique individual who lived long for higher purposes. A lifelong devotion to the care of the poor, the sick and the disadvantaged was one of the highest examples of service to our humanity. And in 1999, she was ranked number one in Gallup's list of most widely admired people of the 20th century. This is what she said, Mother Teresa said, By blood, I am Albanian. By citizenship, I'm Indian. By faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, I belong entirely to the heart of Jesus. What was Mother Teresa's legacy? She had a big heart. She was famous for her love. Famous for her love for Christ. Famous for the way she let Jesus spread his love through her. Hers was a life extravagantly given. Surely she is an example of someone who did much with little. Biblical, biblical example, if I could say it, was, is that story of the widow and her might. Remember that? Luke 21. While Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped him two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. See, giving is not about quantity so much as quality. It's not of, of wealth, but of willingness. The widow gave, gave very little in worldly terms, but she did much with her little. So much so that we're still talking about her 2,000 years later. Okay, four categories. Let, let's apply this then to us. I'm going to give you two quick lessons, and then I'm going to leave you with a challenge. Lesson number one is this. God is in the business of redeeming little with much. Think of the wonderful story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a, a clever and a devious and a driven man. 
And he became very, very wealthy at the expense of his fellow Jews. He was a tax collector. He was a man who had much, but did very little with it, but feed his own greedy and narcissistic desires. Zacchaeus was the classic case of a small heart with a selfish outlook, leading to an empty life. But if you're familiar with that story, in that story, Jesus sees Zacchaeus up there in that sycamore tree and says, hey, I'm coming to your house for tea. Everyone else had rejected him, but Jesus chose to redeem that man. I love that. The word redemption literally means to buy back. Redemption is about restoration. Redemption is about reparation. It's about rehabilitation. And I love in the story of Zacchaeus how grace hunted him down and salvation visited him that day. This is the gospel. The gospel, in the gospel we all have fallen short. Realistically, we all have little to offer the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're all sinners. We're all rejectors. We're all wasters. We're all withholders. But the good news is that redemption is what God does best. Redemption is the story, the narrative of Scripture. 1 Peter 1 verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. As we read this, we have been redeemed with the precious blood of the lamb, past tense. We stand today in his presence as one who has been redeemed. Present tense. But you know, he wants to redeem that in us which is as yet unredeemed. And that's the future workings of sanctification and grace. Think of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was a much. He was a highly educated Jew. He was born with Roman citizenship, which is a fantastic advantage. He'd been discipled by the best of the best. He was described as Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he was zealous to the point of openly and aggressively persecuting the early Christians. Do you know what? Saul was squandering his much. He was on the path to eternal infamy and damnation. But Jesus literally knocked him off his high horse. He, he temporarily blinded him. And then he thoroughly redeemed him. He transformed Saul, who was little with much, into Paul. Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, who unquestionably went on to become much with much. We're talking about the man who wrote half of the New Testament. And the good news is, with the Lord, it is never too late. That if you surrender, He can redeem. Give Him your heart, and God can do so much more with your much than you can. Indeed, than you can with your little. 
And that leads to lesson number two, which is that God is in the business of producing much with little. This is God's specialty. This is what God does best. For exhibit A, think of, think of Jesus' disciples. In Acts 4.13 describes as a deeply flawed band of uneducated and untrained men. We're talking about the guys who huff and puff their way through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And they went on to turn the world upside down. The Bible is chock full of examples of God doing much with little. Think about Abraham. Abraham, in his dreams, saw much. He saw multitudes. And he was prepared to give away his only son. Think of the widow of Zarephath. I preached on that recently. Who was preparing to die, but gave Elijah her dregs of oil and flour. Think of the young lad at the feeding of the 5,000 who was prepared to give up his five loaves and two fish. Think what God did with that. And my favourite example probably is dear old Gideon. Judges chapter 6. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, that is Gideon, and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. In his own eyes, Gideon was about as little as they come. But you know what it got worse? Because he starts with 32,000 men, and then it quickly gets whittled down to 10,000. In the end, finally, he's left with just 300. But if you read the rest of the story, God goes on to dramatically liberate the Israelites and to do what he promised, which is deliver them from their evil enemy, the Midianites, completely, totally, and utterly. An extraordinary demonstration of God doing much with little. Here's <coughs> the good news. Your little, this is a bit of math for you, your little equation plus God's much is more than enough. More than enough. All he requires is your surrender, your obedience, your willingness to sow a seed. It is the principle. The principle is when we let go of what's in our hand for God, However insignificant it may seem, think of that widow of her two mites. If we let go of what's in our hand for God, then God is able to open his hand for us. You see, flesh, flesh wants to cling. The scarcity mentality wants to hoard. But the spirit of faith sows. The spirit of faith gives where the Holy Spirit is prompting. The spirit of faith responds where compassion is stirring. The spirit of faith obeys when his principles are demanding. And our, 
our surrendering, our obeying invokes his promises. Our stepping out in faith, our sowing of that seed unlocks his supernatural abundance. God is in the business of producing his much with our little. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. You must decide in your heart how much, each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. The crux of the matter is not everyone has much to give. And if you do, that comes with great responsibility. But even if you have a little, and you're prepared to be a cheerful giver, you're prepared to be a blessing, you're prepared to be a seed sower, Here's the lavish promise that follows. Verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. His much for your little. Then he will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He tells us he will provide. He tells us he will increase. He tells us he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Ephesians 3 verse 20. With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. Okay, so two lessons and a challenge. The challenge is, you know what it's going to be. The challenge is, what are you doing with what you've got? Which, which of the four permutations are you? Little with little, little with much, much with little, much with much. Do you qualify by the grace of God, as a good and faithful steward. Remember, at the end of the day, we cannot necessarily determine what we have been given or how much we have been given. None of us chose our parents or our DNA or our IQ. But we do get to choose what we do with what we've been given. So here's the response. Very simple. Take that challenge to the Lord. What are you doing with what you've got? The various ways we can respond. It may well even be that that, that, that challenge requires a little bit of repentance. To get before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I recommend maybe I've been doing a bit of squandering, a bit of wasting. Maybe I need to swing this around a little bit in the way I steward what you've given me might call for, for a re-consecration, a re-surrendering, a re-prioritizing. But it's the good news. If you turn to Jesus, he can do so much more with your life than you could possibly imagine. Matthew 25, 29, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. 
Our call simply is to use well what we are given, to be good and faithful stewards. The rest, frankly, is in the Lord's hands. And that's the very best place, actually, that it could be. Because he is the one who does his much with our little. And our decision, when push comes to shove, is are we prepared to trust all of that to him? I'm going to pray uh, while the worship team uh, come forward. And then we'll just respond, and I will ask the call to worship. When he stands, stretch your legs, I'll pray. <coughs> Lord, thank you for what you've given us. It may feel like little, it may be much. I suspect for many of us in this room, we kind of picture ourselves somewhere in the middle. I'm a medium. I may not be a one talent. I'm not a guy with 11. I'm probably the one in the middle. And he faithfully used what he'd been given. And you turned around and you said, well done. At the end of the day, that's all we want to do, Lord. We want to be faithful to what you've given us to do. We want to be responsive to your call. We want to be honouring to your purposes. And I pray, Lord, as we stand here today in your presence, that you would stir in our hearts, that you would challenge us. If there's any alteration, any shift of direction, any decision we need to make, Lord, would you show us what that is? Lord, we just want to re-surrender our hearts to you. Help us to use well and wisely what you have given us for your glory.